Testing. One, two, three. Three is now on. Here we go. Here we go. One more time. Everybody's feeling fine. Here we go now. Here we go. Sink has got the flow. Welcome back to the Christ in Culture. This is Clint. And this is Gordon. And we're back for another week with you guys on the adventure. Yes, this is true. How exciting. Gordon, it's only been a couple days since we've recorded, but what's going on in your life? You know, it was really good. I had a spiritual direction yesterday. Oh, nice. I had it today. Oh, nice. What a small world. Yeah. It was like like charging a battery. Mm. We've mentioned on the podcast, but we have the same spiritual director. Yeah. And so as you know... I haven't been able to figure him out yet with how he spiritually directs because it's not like in the definition of spiritual direction, like giving like direction to anything. It's just kind of like, you know, based on what you're telling me, this is just what I'm thinking and I'll say that, but with no like <laughs> overall tie-in to yeah. what I yeah. said. And I'm like, yeah. I, I, is that helpful? Yeah. Yeah. Or... I don't, uh, I don't know. I mean, not picking up what you're putting down. I always but, like bring my notebook to like take notes and I never really write anything down. Oh, I always we end do. up just like conversing. But, and I, every, every time, even yesterday sitting there, I'm always thinking like, do I need this? Like, is mm-hmm. this helping me in any way? And I really enjoy our conversations, but I don't want to waste his time. Yeah. And afterwards I left and I went, I go in an adoration right afterwards. Cause I usually pray either before or after I go. And as I was walking in adoration, I just realized like everything he said was easily something I could hear those same words coming from God. Hmm. And so like for the first time, it just seemed like he emulated Christ. as like, like he's a priest. I know, but it never like that clicked. <laughs> and I was just like, yes, okay, I do need this because I'm I re- like I realized in that moment he is talking to me as a priest and as a father. But also, like, his words aren't, like, his words, and it, it's, like, I'm in confession, kind of, within yeah. that sense of, like, Jesus is kind of talking to me. And even if I'm not really getting, like, a direction, how could you, how could anybody not want that? Right. So, it just really energized me, and I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. And now I'm more excited about spiritual direction than ever. I was actually just thinking about his style of spiritual direction this morning when I was with him, because it, it very much is, like, I'm going to tell you... Like, Clint, I'm going to tell you what's on my heart. And then he just responds with, okay, this is the first thing that popped in my head. Does that help? And I would say like eight, nine times out of 10, it's something that if not directly applies, it's still like the the lesson is fruitful. The truth of what he's saying is still fruitful. Yeah. Uh, Or at least just like a good reminder of something that I might already know, just need to be reminded of a lot. But no, there's been a lot of good stuff. Yeah, so it's it's always good to go in there. And I know we've said it on here before, but he's also the chaplain for the NFL football team. Yes, he is. The the Texans here in Houston, which is super cool. So I always get like my daily dose of, I guess monthly, of sports knowledge. Because mm. I feel like I can just talk any sports with him. Even though I'm not really a sports guy. Yeah. 
I was wearing, well, same jersey I am right now, this Manchester United jersey today, and he's like, oh, let's talk about soccer. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't even know you knew anything about soccer. And he probably didn't, but, you know. He, he knows a lot about a lot. I know. Yeah. Yeah, just kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to, like, yeah. knowing things. Yeah. So, it's pretty cool. So, all this to say, guys, if you don't have a spiritual director, you should get one. And if, you get a good one. If you need one. If you need Well, yeah. I mean, I think everyone, everyone could use one. Yeah. Right? So, wow. All right. Mm-hmm. It hasn't really had much else happen since the last time we were on. Yeah, it's only been two days since yeah. you recorded. So, you said before we started recording, you haven't really taken anything brand new. Yeah, well, actually, I just thought of something that kind of happened just earlier this afternoon. So, we have a mutual friend, Ryan, who's a listener. And... Yeah, he just gave some feedback on the show and something from the last episode, well, I guess two episodes ago for this one, on us. Yeah. And he started listening to part of it at double speed. Well, like I was speed. Well, I talked to him on the phone. So he started with double speed, but if you hit the button after double speed, it goes to half speed. Okay. And so he listened to it at half speed for a little bit, and it just sounded super goofy. So... He's recommending that if you guys want, go listen to us on that episode. 27 minutes in. 27 minutes in at half speed. Is that 27 minutes in? So on my device, if you change the speed, the overall time of the show changes. So if it's an hour, if you do it at half speed, it's a two-hour show. So Mm -hmm. is that 27 minutes in at half speed or 27 minutes in at regular speed? I don't think iTunes does that. So if he listens on iTunes, then it's just... 27 because minutes straight. I realized almost any podcast sounds hilarious at half speed. Yeah. It's just super goofy. But he said it was when you were asking me all those really in-depth questions yeah. on, on okay. being. Then it was... I'm pretty sure it's true 27 right. minutes. Correct. So yeah. go check that out if you're interested in hearing what we sound like trying to rationalize being and philosophy at half speed. We're already really slow speakers. I think it was hilarious, especially because at that moment you, you were trying to like conceptualize what I was saying. And so, so it was like long pauses, yeah. it was extra long. And it just sounded like we were just like smoking a doobie together. <laughs> <laughs> Literally what it sounded like. <laughs> like, what are we like man? after the fall? <laughs> after the fall? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's, that is good. It was really funny. All right, I'm going to have to go back and check that out. I have started reading or listening to my second audiobook because I mentioned or alluded to two episodes ago. Mm-hmm. I read or listened to the first book of 2019 this year. So my second one, I started reading Screwtape Letters. Mm. Um, and I'm already like eight chapters in because I'm listening to it. I'm listening to things now yeah. faster than the regular speed, about one and a half times faster, not double speed. But And yeah, it's good. I mean, I already knew all about it, but I'm enjoying that. Uh, I have didn't mention it last podcast, but another thing I've been kind of been taking by a lot is there is a, on our Twitter, I started following a new account. Oh my gosh, the, the cartoons. Yeah, it's called Strange Planet is this series with aliens. Yeah. And it's an artist, his name is Nathan Pyle, but he has other cartoons besides the aliens and i've just been downloading them all to my phone and just periodically sending like two a day to lizzie because they're freaking hilarious it's blowing up everywhere so i'm gonna be honest 
I don't get half of them. And I feel really dumb, but some of them are just he's like literally humor. He's literally translating like what people do, but in aliens who are like just saying what they're doing. Right. So like, for example, one is like, we are having guests come over. Let us hide all our misshapen things on in flat surfaces, meaning like cabinets. Right. And then people come up, the other aliens come over and they're like, your house is so nice. And they're like, yes, because we've hidden everything. So it looks like we live here. <laughs> and it's like really small things like that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I get the, the alien ones, but some of the other comics are a little bit harder to, mm-hmm. to understand. Maybe I'm just missing the point, but it's, everyone else seems to think those they're, are hilarious. They're really the alien ones are fantastic. Yeah, that's called Strange Planet. Nathan Pyle. Check it out. I've been really indulging there as well as what's his twitter handle can we figure that out nathan w pile oh wait his handle yeah at nathan w pile w pile yeah Yeah. all right there you go uh pile is spelled p-y-l-e but you can find that in the notes section yeah i will put that in there i will add that to the notes section um and then the book the first book i read of the year is a topic we're going to be talking about today it is a requested subject from one of our Twitter friends, actually, Bianca. Before we jump into that, I actually thought of something that I took in this week that I think we need to talk about. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen the trailer for Star for Wars? Star Wars? Yeah, I saw that while I was pooping today. Okay. Nice. <laughs> what do you think? I've only gotten one look through so far, but initial thoughts. Okay. The f- the one thing the one thing that caused me to rewind the trailer and like got me excited was Lando, yeah, being back. That was really cool. The Palpatine laugh was interesting at, the, at end, the end. Yeah, the only thing I'm really like not liking so far, and obviously I haven't seen the movie yet, is like Ray just seems to be a natural. Yeah, yeah, and that's not cool well that's actually something we talked about on the original star wars episodes with anthony digman just how up until this point jedi have had like decades of training and she's just kind of coming in and being just as powerful if not more powerful with well i guess she got a little training in, in episode eight but other than that she had nothing right and so yeah i i agree with that I ooh, I don't know. I mean, but I'm wondering if they'll explain that off because the way the trailers like laid it out, it's like every like decade of people has a legend. Yeah, and maybe she's this unspoken legend. There's sure. more to her. If Palpatine's back, is she like spiritual bloodline of like Anakin? And, yeah, which is also someone who kind of naturally had power, but she's like didn't have the to control. chosen one, right? I don't, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's funny because I've been listening to a lot of Catching Foxes on time and they just keep being like, I don't care about Star Wars anymore. Yeah. And so, but I've read some articles lately of like the director from Last Jedi t- and then the director of this one, like they might totally change some things and he's really excited and okay with that. So I, I think it'll be really interesting and I'm definitely going to see it. I'm, yeah, and I think that's the thing. Star Wars fans we're gonna go see it either way yeah just because we're curious yeah i think there's gonna be some people who are going just to see how much damage is done to like their beloved fandom 
But, I mean, most of us are just curious. Like, we want to know what happens just because we like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So. Also, Leia's still in it. Yeah. And that wasn't CGI. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they had most of it. Most of it. I don't think they had all of it recorded beforehand. They didn't have any of this one recorded before she passed away. Those were just shots from the second movie that they didn't use. So they wrote the movie around those shots so it could make it work. Really? Yeah. I did a lot of research after watching the... uh, It was a long poop. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sounds like a good one. All right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, I I cut you off. We'll reconvene on Star Wars. Yeah. um, It gets closer as more of a trailer and unveils. Yeah. So we were talking about... The Man Who Was Thursday Thursday. by G.K. Chesterton. I don't know if I even mentioned that yet, but... We did now. It's really funny because a lot of... There was this period where a lot of things were requested like simultaneously, which is why we've been trying this year to go through them because our our list just got... And some of them I was just like, I've never heard of this or I have, but what is it? And this was one of them that I was just like, that just seems random. And I I had this thought almost of like, that's not going to happen. Like, we're not going to cover that one. Like, thank you. Uh, but who's going to read that? Or Not that I didn't think there was a theme in it. I'm sure there's a theme in everything. But, yeah, I just didn't think we'd cover it. But here I am, me being the one that had read it yeah, and loved it. Um, it's one of his biggest books. It most is. Popular books. And he's one, written a lot. Yes. I don't know if you know how much he's written, but he's mm-hmm. he's got like hundreds and hundreds of poems and stories and i think thousands of articles that he's written yeah he's one of the most written uh people of the 20th century totally it's insane yeah i do know of him and i know like of his poems uh, i've never read anything by him so this is the first and it is his staple like his biggest book mm-hmm. um, and it is very poetical as we will see soon when we dive into it um so Likewise, let's just dive in. Let's do it. So I'm not going to try to spoil this book, even though it's an old book, because I think it is really good and it's fun and it's a pretty quick read. But it starts with two characters, uh, Lucian Gregory, who just goes by Gregory, and Gabriel Syme, who goes by Syme. And Syme is the main character of this book. And it takes place in London. I don't remember kind of what time period, but kind of the same time period as G.K. Chesterton. So early, I guess, 20s, even maybe a little bit before that. Um, But like very early, if not right on like the 1900s in London. And they're in a square. Lucian Gregory is a poet, a very like established poet, whereas Gabriel Syme is a brand new poet. And they meet in like the garden in the center of London to talk about poetry. Gregory is an anarchist who prefers like anarchy and disorder and thinks poetry and art comes from that. And Syme believes more in law and order and that poetry and art like coincide better with law and order. Mm-hmm. And they have this discussion in chapter one, which when I heard this whole discussion, I was like, this is all I want to talk about when we talk on the podcast. I just want to, cause it's beautiful. I love poetry. I love art. And so like these two ideals and differences, which I think when people talk about art and like different styles of art from like, like um, the churches and those paintings to like now modern art, some people like hate modern art Mm -hmm. and because there's like no purpose 
some to some, to some eyes, right? And um, I well, think there's no clear message. I think to a lot of people, right? So I think that's what they're kind of covering. So I'm going to actually read through. There's, there's a lot here. This conversation or debate, rather, they have. Just out of curiosity, just going off the names. So Lucian comes from the Latin light, and Gabriel comes from the Hebrew for God is my strength. Mm. Does that tie into anything or maybe we can kind of keep that in mind as we go through i don't know i just think names are really important in a lot of stuff and we've kind of seen that i mean i think right away if we're talking about sime being gabriel as believing in more law and order god and your strength obviously when we talk about chaos and order versus disorder yeah god sides with more of the order yeah okay and lawful sure um as far as lucian gregory and light I mean, enlightenment. I, I don't know. It's funny because you know, there's Lucius Malfoy. Yeah, and like Lucian Lucius is also like very similar to Lucifer. Like, oh uh, yeah, and I, I he's not really yeah. like an evil character. Sure, but but anarchy, anarchy and chaos. Yeah, maybe there's something there. Okay, yeah, interesting. And so you're looking at this too with me. The red is Gregory. I put it red for anarchy. Oh, Whereas the black clever. is Sime. So it starts with Gregory, who just starts boasting. He says, it, very, it may well be on such a night of clouds and cruel colors that there is brought forth upon the earth such a portent as a respectable poet. You say you are a poet of law. I say you are a contradiction in terms because he doesn't believe there could be that. Mm-hmm. I only wonder there were not comets and earthquakes on the night you appeared in this garden. And this is when he starts explaining his side of things. He goes, an artist is identical with an anarchist. You might transpose the words anywhere. An anarchist is an artist. The man who throws a bomb is an artist because he prefers a great moment to everything. He sees how much more valuable is one burst of blazing light, one peal of perfect thunder, than the mere common bodies of a few shapeless policemen. An artist disregards all government abolishes all conventions. The poet delights in disorder only. If it were not so, the most poetical thing in the world would be the underground railway. But why do all the clerks and navies in the railway trains look so sad and tired, so very sad and tired? I will tell you, it is because they know that the train is going right. It is because that they know that whatever place they have taken a ticket for, that place they will reach. It is because after they have possessed Sloan Square, they know that the next station might be Victoria, and nothing but Victoria. Oh, their wild rapture, oh, their eyes like the stars and their souls again in Eden, if the next station were unaccountably Baker Street. So Baker he's Street. kind of saying, like, it's, order is boring, mm-hmm. people, des- people desire otherwise, and that, you know, you can kind of agree that some artists abolish conventions. I know, me in school, I love breaking rules. Right. That doesn't surprise me. I didn't always get a good grade when I did that, but sometimes I did. And sometimes it takes that kind of that creativity. But there are unspoken rules that like most professional artists, if you really break those, are like, you can't do that. So I, I've said many times on here that I love languages, mm. but in school, that was definitely not the case. I hated literature class or English, whatever. And one of the things that I do remember, though, is one of my teachers said, 
uh, well, I guess one of us asked, why do we need to learn this? It was like grammar or something. I don't remember. And she said something that still kind of sticks with me. You need to learn what these rules are mm-hmm. so that if you become a master, you can break them. Right. And I, I think that's kind of what this is getting to where the great artists break the norm. To play devil's advocate, you you would argue based on what your teacher is saying is that you learn the rules so well that when you break them, you break them with purpose. Mm-hmm. So you're breaking them to a new rule of your own. Sure. Yeah. You're creating. Okay. You're not sense. going completely off the rails. Yeah. Which is what I think he is implying. Like you just, people just no rules, no rules, mm-hmm. which in essence I think is impossible. Right. Cause based off what you're saying, you have to establish a new rule in order to break the old rules. Right. Okay. And so this is the rebuttal that Syme has. He says, it is you who are unpoetical. If what you say of the clerks are true, they can only be as prosaic as your poetry. The rare, strange thing is to hit the mark. The gross, obvious thing is to miss it. Can we just break that yeah, down real quick? Yeah, we can break. go ahead and okay. break that down. Um, Feel free to stop me. Yeah, okay. I knew. Uh, that's, that's too hard to... Isn't that awesome? ...to not say... And I'm sure this is intentional. G.K. Chesterton was a Catholic writer. Oh, later there's in his so life. much uh, so, Catholicism in this book, and I don't even—I'm not even going to bring up all well, of it. Part of the reason why I love Chesterton is not directly him, but because I love Tolkien and the Inklings, mm-hmm. and they get a lot of their inspiration from Chesterton. So, going off of that, when he says the rare, strange thing is to hit the mark, he's literally talking about sin. Well, what we're created for, right? right. Because the definition of sin is to miss the mark. And that's where he goes here. The gross, the obvious thing is to miss it. Yeah. Right. So he's talking about the gross thing. The obvious thing is to sin. But the rare thing, the strange thing is to do what we we ought, what we were created for. And he's replying in this idea of the train, like making the destination that he's saying previously is boring to people. Like I know where the train's going. Well, that's actually the more rare thing to make it where you're trying to. Mm-hmm. And the, the gross and obvious thing is actually to not make it to the station that you bought a ticket to go to. Right. Which I think can be so true in our spiritual life. We're like, I'm striving for holiness or I'm striving just to be a good person. Right. Or I'm striving to make it to Friday with my sanity and not to get upset at all once this week. <laughs> and often we don't never make it to that station. Yeah, that one was pretty tough this week. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And so he continues on. He goes, We feel it is epical when man with one wild arrow strikes a distant bird. It is not as epical when man with one wild engine strikes a distant station. Chaos is dull, because in chaos the train might indeed go anywhere, to Baker Street or to Baghdad. But man is a magician, and his whole magic is in this, that he does say Victoria, and lo, it is Victoria. No, take your books of mere poetry and prose. Let me read a timetable with tears of pride that every time a train comes in, I feel it has broken past batteries of procedures and the man has won a battle against chaos. Hmm. So now once again, we're even, if you want to stop there and break that down, we're even saying like, once again, making, hitting the mark is not only rare and strange, but is hard and a, a battle. Yeah, I think this is going down to what you were saying before about to break the rules, you create new rules. Because in that first example, 
when he says, instead of going to, uh, what was it? I'm digging through here. Mm-hmm. Wherever that first station was supposed to go to, was it Victoria? Yeah. Instead of going to Victoria, he's saying, you're going to Baker Street. Mm-hmm. But in this response, Simon is saying, okay, but who says you're going to Baker Street? Right. You could be going anywhere. anywhere. If this is true anarchy, there are no rules. Right. Who, Whereas, says, who says it's even on this planet? Yeah. And he's like, the, the, the more marvelous thing is to say where you're going and go there. Right. That's, that's the magic. Yeah. That's the beauty. Mm-hmm. So then it continues on um, after this battle against chaos. You say contemptuously that when one has left Sloan Square, one must come to Victoria. I say that one might do a thousand things instead, and that whenever I really come there, I have the sense of hairbreadth escape. And when I hear the guards shout at the word Victoria, it is not an unmeaning word. It is to me the cry of a herald announcing conquest. It is to me indeed Victoria. It is the victory of Adam. Hmm. This makes me think less of trains and more of airplanes. You know, you think of someone who is just terrified of flying, right? What's the first thing that happens when they land? Oh, thank God. Right. Right. I could have, like something could have happened. We could have not landed at all. We could have had to reroute and go somewhere else. Yeah. But when you find out, Okay, we're landed, we're on time, we're where we're supposed to be. There's just like this sigh of relief. And I think even still, there's going to be people who might be kind of numb to that, people who travel a lot and stuff like that. But deep down, like there's there's this relief, like I'm where I'm supposed to be. And especially I think the big thing is I'm where I'm supposed to be on time and I'm safe, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I think that's kind of a more modern adaptation of this i think i think that does make sense i think it's challenging to picture this metaphor with a train because it's on rails Hmm. but i think that was to no like accident with chesterton sure and i think with our faith and spiritual life you know there's that battle of an omnipotent god and free will Hmm. and so it's like this idea of okay we do have free will and he's even saying, yeah, I can say I'm going to go to Victoria, but a person can choose a thousand things other than actually getting there. And so when I finally hear, like, I made it to Victoria, I, that's, I've, I've won. And so it's like, even though it's, it seems silly, like, but you're on rails. It's like, yeah, but I can do anything because there is free will. I wonder if that, even that name of the station was... Victory. Victory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's good. And then there's one more little small rebuttal. And he says, and even then, this is Gregory replying Mm -hmm. back. We poets always ask the question, and what is Victoria now that you have got there? You think Victoria is like the new Jerusalem. We know that the new Jerusalem will only be like Victoria. Yes, the poet will be discontented even in the streets of heaven. The poet is always in revolt. So he's saying, even though you made it and you've won, what's for you there you're going to still want to go to the next thing mm-hmm. like that's like okay you've won now you're done with this journey sure i um, mean he's like even when we make it to heaven we're gonna you know, feel that way because at our core we are anarchists right interesting do you have anything there you want to keep going i mean i plead the opposite right yeah i, I think this is almost looking at the 
the comparison of like the human identity as the the dung heap versus the pile of snow. Have you heard that comparison? I have not. So there's, uh, gosh, all the theologians listening to this are going to make fun of me for not remembering who actually said this. I want to say it was Luther, but the the belief is essentially that humans are a pile of dung and through the the grace and mercy of Christ we are covered in snow we are made white so mm. we at our nature are bad we at our nature are are just foul sinful creatures right and the catholic perspective of this is that we are not dung right if we even look at genesis it says that man was created and we were created in the image and likeness of God and we were created very good. Mm-hmm. So very, like from the very beginning, we see that we are good. And so we, we would say that we are a pile of snow covered in a layer of dung, which is original sin. God, right? yes. And so I think this is kind of what they're arguing here where the anarchist is saying at our very core of who we are, we are this dung pile and we're never going to fit in with the snow yeah and i actually totally agree i think they're fighting over what the core is Mm. where they they both are right in essence of like at our core sime is right but in our fallen nature gregory speaks some truth into our desire so yeah like we want to we make it a victory victoria i'll say victory make it a victoria and we are we do get bored and we want to do the next thing but that's not how we are actually created. Right. Is our identity in the fallenness or is our identity something other? Mm-hmm. And we as Catholics would say our identity is beyond our fallen nature. And I think just going with what is boring, fallen nature is boring, right? If we're, if we're being honest, and this is probably something that he talks about based off of the last response, but falling into the same sins over and over and over again, that is boring. Right. Like greatness, being a saint. I, I think that's exciting, right? Because you are being who you were meant to be in an extraordinary way. Right. And in a more of a, because I, I, I don't disagree, but in more of like what Simon's saying, it's also just rare. Yeah, sure. And it's just, that's what makes it so marvelous and like so magical I don't like using that word magic, but I'm just referring to what they, they said mm-hmm. because it's special. It's not, I wouldn't say it's harder. Well, I guess it's harder. Yeah. It's harder. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, just going off that even more with the whole thing of like uniqueness, each saint is different. Mm-hmm. And so if you're talking about something that is to be expected being boring, well, if the norm is to not make it, to not be a saint, to not reach Victoria then that is what's expected. That's that's boring. Yeah. But to become a saint is something that's completely unique. Right. It's like saying that you're going to go somewhere and make it, but that place is like only for you, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Or am I just kind of ranting? No. Okay. It makes perfect sense. Cool. And then the last thing the sign says is there again, this is after he's saying we're always in revolt even when we make it to Victoria, like what is in us, what is in Victoria for us? What is there poetical about being in revolt? You might as well say that it's poetical to be seasick or we can even say to, to be fallen, hmm. you know, that that's poetical, but being sick 
is a revolt. Both being sick and being rebellious may be the wholesome thing on certain desperate occasions, but I'm hanged if I can see why they are poetical. Revolt, in the abstract, is revolting. It's mere vomiting. It is the things going right that is poetical. Our digestions, for instance, going sacredly and silently right, that is the foundation of all poetry. Yes, the most poetical thing, more poetical than flowers, more poetical than the stars, the most poetical thing in the world is not being sick. Hmm. Or, like I said in the beginning, not being fallen, like being our true selves. Being that snow at the core is the most poetical thing in the world. Yeah, I think because anarchy, in order to exist, implies that there's some kind of order to rebel against. There, exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And it's kind of like our episode we talked about uh, good versus evil. The fact that there's evil implies that there's something that is good in which you can compare with, Mm -hmm. right? And so evil automatically is something that is contrary or void of that good. Yeah, because revolting that good. In the other way, if Gregory actually believes what he says to be true, and he believes that law is wrong and there actually shouldn't be a law, well, then really in his eyes, what he does is law. And what law is, is anarchy, because it's going against his own ideal. Yeah. But you can't think that way. So, like, both can exist in his world, Mm -hmm. but both have to exist for one to exist. Right. So it's it's already like a paradox. It's self-defeating. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point, Syme challenges Gregory to prove his anarchism. Like he's like, okay, you're speaking words, but you actually like live this way. And in this book, you find out like anarchism is throwing bombs, like blowing things up. Um, And to the point of like the world burns and I die in it too. But that's better than this order. Yeah. I mean, anarchy by its very nature is has to be destructive mm-hmm. right and it has to be imploding upon itself uh, i think we talked about it once in philosophy of tolkien when i was reading that book i think i mentioned it on here how evil is a parasite and a parasite if it succeeds it kills its host but if its host dies it dies because it no longer right. has anything to feed on yeah and that's kind of what anarchy is it's trying to destroy everything but in destroying everything it destroys itself. itself yeah and they know that he knows that yeah and they're okay with that uh, okay it's interesting and so he challenges his anarchism and he's like follow me so they go to get dinner and these it's really funny because as anarchist and as this book everyone's very proper still so they go get dinner sitting at a table and as they're they're british eating so. exactly <laughs> eating and drinking the table they're sitting on starts to just lower and it goes deep into the ground. Mm. And then they walk up and he's like, do you, do you, do you believe me now? Do you believe I'm an anarchist? And he's, you, you quickly find out he, he's brought them to this meeting. And this is where they meet as anarchists. And he's like, well, what, what's going on tonight? Like, what's happening? He's like, well, as long as you promise, keep a secret. He's like, okay, I promise, keep a secret. And when they say that, they mean it. So he's like, I won't tell anyone what you tell me mm. at all. So he explains that this is an anarchist meeting, and tonight they're voting on who is to be Thursday. There are seven councilmen who run the anarchist group, and they're each named as the day of the week, mm-hmm. the leader being Sunday. And so okay. they're voting on who is Thursday, and Gregory is supposed to be 
elected to be Thursday. He already kind of knows he's got it in the books. And then Simon's like, okay, well, let me, can I tell you a secret? As long as you promise not to tell anyone. And he's like, okay, give him the word. He's like, well, I'm a cop. And he finds out he's a cop and he starts freaking out. But like I said, once they say they promise, they mean it. And so he's going to keep his cool. And then as they're electing Thursday, they, they put up Gregory for running and people are voting. And Syme disagrees with the vote and proposes himself to be Thursday and gets elected. Because huh. okay. he's like very witty. And so he becomes Thursday, an undercover cop as an elected official for the anarchists. When for, and one of the things I, I found is like there's already paradox because they have this order, like governmental order yeah, in this anarchist say. group. Yeah, as soon as you said they're going down into a meeting, I was like, a meeting with rules and order and now elections. And Syme, as a cop, rebels against rebellion and was like secretly being someone else and now is even taking on this other role. So he's like kind of like, not wanting to be being chaotic, but he's like not quite being super lawful and orderly. He's, he's kind of like whimsically just choosing decisions. Okay. Um, and so there's this paradox on both ends. Yeah. Of, of, of chaos within law and law and order within anarchy. And so that's, that's what happens. And he finds out Sunday, he has a brunch every Sunday, and that's where they meet all the council members. So he goes to the first brunch and that's where he meets everyone. We have the Marquis who was Wednesday. We have Bull who was Saturday. We have Gogol who was Tuesday, Professor de Worms Friday and the secretary who was Monday. And then we have Sunday who's this really big figure. His head's like bigger than it should be. He seems really disproportionate. Okay. And he's kind of a scary guy. And they talk, they want, he wants to blow up and kill uh, the Russian leader right now. And the Marquis gets assigned with that job. So that's what's going on. And Syme, after this, decides like that's not a good idea. And he wants to stop it. And on the way to stop it, the order I just went, the Marquis, Bull, Gogo, Professor. So Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Friday, Monday. Mm-hmm. That's the people he runs into along the way. And each time he runs into them, he realizes they too undercover cops. Hmm. And so it comes out that all of them, under, and every time they find out, he's like, when he finds out Wednesdays, he's like, oh. so there was two against seven. Like maybe we could have had our ground. And I was like, oh, there was three against four. There was we were exactly we had to actually have the upper hand. It was all of us against one. But even though they know they had the advantage, they're all afraid of one person. So even amongst these anarchists, we're seeing even more order than we thought because the one cop amongst the rebellion mm-hmm. where to see the order but there's but six if, if there's six cops okay yeah so even amongst the chaos there has but to they're be still afraid they know they have the upper hand to like take this whole thing down yeah. they're still afraid of sunday and the question just becomes in that the whole book who is sunday okay and what kind of power does he have and that's the only, only thing i won't spoil if you want to know who sunday is read the book okay but the last like really big theme well, actually, before that, let's back up. Rewind. There's a scene where the these people are chasing them and like trying to kill all of the days of the week, and they think it's because they're wearing masks. They think it's anarchists that are like true anarchists that are working for Sunday. Now that they 
know that Sunday knows who they are because I kind of quickly find out Sunday knows that they've all been undercover cops. Okay. And so they are running at the same time trying to kill these anarchists. And then like the sheets get pulled when they finally are at hand and the people that they think are anarchists are uh, the London police force who think that these other people are anarchists. And so you quickly find out like it's the police against the police the entire time. And so this whole theme and this whole book is just like what they think to be true is not true. Mm-hmm. And they're fighting each other. They're fighting themselves almost. Right. Do you have anything with that idea? I mean, even looking back at sin, like that's, I guess that's what sin is, right? We have this idea of what is, and because of that, we fight what actually is true. Yeah. Um, or even, even what isn't. Sure. Yeah. I mean, even, I mean, reading, I've been, I mentioned reading like screw tape letters. If he's distracting us with false truth, mm. then he'll keep us there. Right. Yeah. And as well as if if we're following a truth, but an improper truth, like he's just going to put us and we're going to be fighting these battles that aren't really per- pertinent to the b- big picture. Right. I think it's also just kind of reiterating what we've been saying of order within the chaos. If the cops represent order and we see two groups of anarchists and all of them are actually cops, it's kind of going back to there is no anarchy without order. Mm. Uh, at least that's kind of what I was thinking about as you were you were kind of painting that picture. Yeah, no, it's true because as the leaders get revealed as cops, and you have Sunday, the question as a reader, I think, does become like, what what does true anarchy look like? Hmm. As you're seeing this, and you're like, okay, well, this this can't be it. Even before when you went to the meeting, you're like, they have like a council, right? So it's like, what what would true anarchy even look like? But yeah, I don't know if there's an answer for that. I, I think it goes back to what we were saying before. It just can't exist because it's self-destructive. Yeah. Or if it does exist, it, it exists only like temporarily. Yeah. Until it finishes its mission. And then which everything's is gone. Distracting. Distra- yeah. So. so at the very end of the book, they're chasing down Sunday and they get to this place and they realize like Sunday has been expecting them and he wants to have one like final council meeting and they all have their these like it's kind of like a like a courtroom kind of meeting so they have like i just how i imagine it like these old school like court a judge like drapery okay and they're all they all kind of get excited because they're made each for their day of the week and so they're putting it on to go figure out what happens and this is what it says it says along with this and a kind of crescent stood seven chairs so we have seven chairs of the week and the kind of a crescent mm-hmm. and the thrones of the seven days. Gogol and Dr. Bull were already in their seats. The professor was just mounting to his. Gogol, or Tuesday, had his simplicity well symbolized by a dress designed upon the divisions of the waters, a dress that separated upon his forehead and fell to his feet, gray and silver like a sheet of rain. The professor, whose day was on the which the birds and the fishes, the rudder forms of life, were created, had a dress of dim purple over which sprawled goggled eyes, fishes, and outrageous tropical birds, the union in him of unfathomable fancy and of doubt. Dr. Bull, the last day of creation, wore a coat covered with heraldic animals in red and gold, and on his chest a man rampant. He lay back in his chair with a broad smile, 
a picture of an optimist in his element. And Thursday is the day, because you realize like they're doing the days of creation. Mm. And he's, Thursday is the day of the sun and the moon. Right. And so his had like the sun and the moon kind of on it. And they refer to this throughout the book of the days of the week as days of creation. But in this element, they're all wearing these things. And finally, when Sunday walks in, he's dressed in just pure white. And he's dressed as like the day of of rest, Sabbath. Okay, that's interesting. It is interesting because he's caused so much unrest for them. Mm-hmm. This entire time they're just being chased or they're chasing and they're not resting at all. And they're afraid because of this man who is Sunday. It's also, I mean, if we're talking about creation, mm-hmm. the Sabbath wasn't on Sunday. Saturday. It's on Saturday. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this is from a Christian yeah. perspective. So you can cut that out or no. leave it in. Whatever. Is it the Sabbath? I know the Sabbath was celebrated on Saturday. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was, was it Sunday was the first day of creation then? Mm-hmm. Okay. According to the Hebrews, but yeah. Well, he's an anarchist. Anarchist. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's like really the the last kind of thing because I thought I really liked that. And like I said, it was interesting that he was this figure of the holy day or the figure of rest when he caused so much disorder among them and unrest. And I mean, if you have nothing else, that just plays into my challenge. Well, not even just that. I think that the fact that they are tying it back to creation, well, what is creation? Making order Mm -hmm. out of disorder. Yeah. If we even look at the creation story, it's literally the story of how God took chaos and nothingness and brought order to that to create life Mm -hmm. and, and essence and existence and all these things. So... I just think it kind of ties back to the, even in the anarchy, there is, there is order. Yeah. And so it was my challenge for this week, especially with this coming out the next day is being Easter Sunday. So yeah. Like a, a, like the Sabbath of Sabbaths. Happy Easter. How did we not Easter. say that? Oh my gosh. Cause I was saving it for now. Oh, great. <laughs> Perfect. So was I. Happy Easter. Happy Easter guys. Wow. Well, I guess it's Holy Saturday, but... If you listen to it after Sunday, which you probably will, and I understand that, if you listen to this after Easter, during this Easter octave, during to whenever you listen to this, either just really prepare and focus on the next coming Sunday as your Sabbath, or if you know ahead of time, like, you're going to be busy that Sunday, you have things to do, pick one day of this week. Pick one day of this week to be your Sabbath, and just truly rest sabbath well just really really like take that time to enter into either the f- prayer like all day or just a few minutes to relax and just like you know treat yourself as well as treat yourself sit down i challenge you in this sabbath and look at god's creation whether it's nature whether it's a reflection in your life and how he created you whether if you have a family, it's your kids, but look at God's creation and just like relax in that beauty. So kind of two things, rest, find a day of Sabbath and rest, analyze God's creation and beauty and be thankful for that. Cool. Yeah. That sounds good. You have any shout outs? 
I have a couple new listeners shout outs. Do it. So I'm going to butcher these names, but I'm going to go for it. So one is Yuva Johnny. So shout out to Yuva. And I don't know if that's a username or if that's actually your real name, but shout cool out. name. And then the other one is, I believe, from Pakistan. So shout out to Khadija Siddiqui. Siddiqui? I don't know. Okay. But shout out. There you go. Those are my two. Thank you for listening. Uh, I want to shout out Bianca one more time. Yeah. For recommending this book and getting me to read. Bianca. I'd also like to do just a private shout out. They're probably not going to hear this, but the Hamricks, who are parts of Adore, just for personal intention. Just shout out to them. If, if you have in your time, listeners, just offer up a prayer sometime this week for the Hamricks. Cool. Cool. Otherwise, thank you guys for listening. If you're a new listener, thank you for joining. Yeah. Check okay. us out at our website, thechristinculture.com. Mm-hmm. From there, we have blogs, we have a few videos, we have all these podcasts, as well as you can find our social media accounts from there. We have a Facebook, The Christ and Culture. We have a Twitter, Twitter. at On the Adventure 2. And just rate us either yeah. on Facebook, uh, rate us, and whatever, however you listen to us. Any small rating shares us with hundreds of people. people. Share our stuff on Facebook. Share our stuff on Twitter. That also reaches lots of people, hundreds of people, as well as offer up ideas, things mm-hmm. you like or don't like, because uh, we'll mention that either at the beginning or the end of a podcast, as well as topics like this, like uh, Bianca and a few of the other uh, podcasts we put out this recently, because we will check them out. Yeah. And we will cover them. We'll do our best. Yeah. And if you guys like what we do, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com backslash the Christ and culture. And from there, you can support us financially for only a couple dollars a month or more if you so choose. And in return, we will give you extra content and rewards. This is a way of helping us build this show. Like we said last week, Gordon, Steve, and I make nothing off of this show nope and all of this is going back into trying to build this up trying to pay for all the fees and stuff that it takes to keep this going and honestly since we just got out of lent a lot of you are probably giving up things that you really enjoyed and saving a little bit of money so for the cost of one coffee you could be able to join our lowest tier or maybe one meal you can join a, a different tier you right. know that's one coffee a month and you can help support us. And it's huge just having each and every one of you join us. So thank you to our patrons. And unless you have anything else, I do not. Thank you guys for joining us in the adventure this week. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. I just assume you're always recording.